welcome to the Sports on Point podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Smith, joined on the line, as always, by the phenom, Mr. Bob Williams. I remember that one time I was out in California and you guys actually let me enjoy my vacation. How dare you? I know. Don't expect it to ever happen again. It won't happen again. And of course, the guy pressing the buttons, Mr. Pod Severs. Welcome to the podcast, guys! What's that, the the sticking your head out the window sound? I don't know. It just sounds gross. But I like it. I like gross things. Hey, you guys want to talk about this past week in sports? We kind of skipped over a week because it was a bunch of like soccer and golf and stupid crap that we don't care about. It was tennis. tennis. Oh, tennis. Just as stupid just and crappy. any English fans we ever had, so thanks, Bob. If it was soccer, if it was soccer, if it was soccer, we just still had a show. I mean, we we anchored our podcast for about a month last year on World Cup soccer, so I I wouldn't be ashamed to do it again. But no, uh, I, I like soccer. That's actually an athletic sport. Whereas on the other hand, tennis, that's not <laughs> athletic at all. Bob Severn, you don't bull. need you don't need any sort of athletic ability to play tennis. I played table tennis really? for years. Oh, and table it took, tennis, table tennis. That's a whole different. You know um, that you know that that yeah. Wimbledon thing's a little different, right? Wimbledon, Schmimbledon. <laughs> you remember last year's Wimbledon, where the the guys set the record for the longest match for like nineteen hours? No. Yeah. Hey, if a guy can last for nineteen hours, he deserves a record. For now on, Bob, you will be known as the Wimbledon Simpleton. No, I said Wimbledon Schmimbledon. No, but you are the Wimbledon. You are the Wimbledon Simpleton. Oh, I get that. I like it. Do you guys want to talk about this past week in sports, or can we just shoot the shit for a while? <laughs> Let's talk about the past week in sports. Okay. The Sports on Point Weekly Rewind: A Week in Review with Matt Smith and Bob Williams. Let's back it up. All right, this past week in sports, starting off with Thursday. A fan dies after falling out of stands at a Texas Rangers game. Bob? Yeah, this is one of those tragic things in baseball that if you've ever been to a stadium, you, you kind of sit there and like, wow, the guardrail's kind of low. I could fall. Well, unfortunately for this, this fan, uh, Josh Hamilton tossed a, I believe, a foul ball up into the stadium. He went to go grab it and... The resulting factor is he he grabbed it, but he fell 20 feet onto his head. Uh, they, you know, he was okay initially. Uh, asking about his son, you know, little kid there, making sure that the security and emergency people knew that his son was there. His son was there. Well, they they found out the son's okay. All right, but he lost his father because of this really tragic freak accident. And I think you're going to see security going up. In, in stadiums, not security, I, I guess those bars going up even higher because it's not the first incident like this this year. And not the last, actually. If you were watching the uh, uh, Home Run Derby, there was a gentleman who fell over a guardrail and probably could have had a similar fate if it wasn't, uh, wasn't for the fact that the people next to him noticed that he was being a moron and decided to catch him before he fell. Uh, the, he, he actually was over the over the guardrail. They caught him by his feet and pulled him back up. So a uh, lucky, uh, fortunate individual there. But yeah, this is this is a really unfortunate story here, just because the the, the gentleman's you know I believe it was a six year old son 
was standing right there and, and actually saw the thing happen. He didn't uh, didn't see him actually pass away because that happened to what happened on the ambulance ride on the way to the hospital. But uh, definitely not something that that little boy's ever gonna forget. And you know, my my heart and prayer goes out to that family. On Friday, Houston Rockets Yao Ming retiring after nine seasons. Matt. Yep, Yao Ming made it official. It's uh, it's an it's a done deal. Yao Ming is retired, but we're not gonna spend too much time on this because we got a whole lot more Yao Ming conversation to come up later in the podcast. So, Bob, why don't we move on? Yao Ming. Yao Ming. Uh, the biggest thing that you have to think about with Yao Ming, not only is in, in the basketball perspective, is the is the globalization of basketball and how he made so many inroads. On Saturday, NFL star Heinz Ward picked up for DUI, authorities say. Bob? Well, based on the picture, he did not have his famous smile. Uh, Unfortunately, you're starting to see a rise of uh, NFL stars doing a lot of stupid stuff when they should be getting ready for uh, training camp. But because of this NFL lockout, things are just going downhill quicker every day. You know, this is one of those things where, hey, it's a, a, a celebrity slash athlete doing what he shouldn't be doing. I want football. Please, football. Soon. Yeah, so a Pittsburgh Steeler getting in trouble again. Um, any money on anybody want to guess what state it was? Of course, Georgia, because that's where Steelers always get in trouble. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is uh, this is kind of an interesting story. I, I, I noticed that the, uh, I don't remember if it was the agent or the lawyer for Heinz Ward came out and said that once all the facts were revealed that it was going to be determined that uh, he was not actually impaired and he was not driving drunk. Well, I got two things to say about that. First of all, I know from watching the TV commercials that buzz driving is drunk driving. That's right. And second of all, uh, I'm not sure from a PR standpoint if it's all that much better for the fans of the country to know that his blood alcohol content was over the limit, but his tolerance is high enough that he wasn't impaired. Yeah, I'm not sure that helps your case. Yeah, what kind of precedent does that say? Well, your tolerance can actually be higher than the legal limit, so screw the legal limit, you know? Yeah, well, it also says Heinz Ward is a drunk. He's a drunk Cheshire cat. On Sunday, Home Run Derby baseball players to interact live with fans via Twitter. Yeah, just a, just another instance of the sports world and the tech world combining. And it's just kind of a cool thing where you can actually interact directly with the athletes. And, you know, we've seen across uh, multiple sports, specifically in the NBA and the NFL, where players have been banned from using Twitter during games. But um, I, I, the one thing I will say is having been on Twitter around the time that the uh, Home Run Derby was going on, um, I just really hope that uh, the announcer for the Home Run Derby, Mr. Chris Berman, was not interacting with fans on Twitter because he was being absolutely brutalized on Twitter. Oh, well, hey, look at that. It's Chris Berman. It's bumbling, stumbling, rumbling. He should probably stick to football. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing. I'm glad they're doing this during the Home Run Derby. It's cool interaction. I wonder how many people can blame, oh, hey, I was texting instead of staying focused sure it, it wasn't the actual all-star game that actually means something so it, it's not that big of an issue but it, you could see some leak overage leak overage i sure uh <laughs> episode title it, it, into the the actual all-star game the next day uh so i 
this is cool, but they have to draw the line somewhere, and, and hopefully, people, the, the players, don't realize that or realize that they shouldn't be doing this during a well, the All Star Game itself, because it means something when it shouldn't, and then during the games themselves. Yeah, just a, just a little side note I want to make about the Home Run Derby. A uh, big deal was made about the fact that Robinson Cano actually broke the final round record. And I just want to say for the record that that means nothing because he quit batting after six outs, and they always do that. Whenever the second batter is determined that he has won, they stop batting. So, therefore, there is no solid indication of what a record should be or would be in the second round, So let's or in the final round. So let's not make a big deal about this. I'm making big deal about his bat speed. 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 On Monday, NFL lockout news: the league and players moving toward a deal. Sources say. Bob. I think I've heard this song and dance before. Uh, I, I know there, there things are getting a little bit clearer as we come uh, the deadline for all this that they're that the key deadline i guess is going to be the 21st of july uh i i know that they've they've talked about a few things here and there with like rookie wage salaries and not, not extending seasons uh but it's it, it still until they come out and say hey it's done i'm i'm not putting any any of my faith into this so 10 days 7 to 10 days do you, do you think it can get done Matt no no and and I guess I shouldn't say I don't think it can get done because I definitely do think it can get done um, I just don't necessarily have faith that it will I, I, it, I just seem to recall three weeks ago recording a podcast on a Wednesday night and and having a whole lot of optimism in the air that a deal was going to be done within the next three days and um, that was three weeks ago. So uh, I don't know what um, I don't know what I've seen or heard that's supposed to make me feel any different this time around. But until I actually see some people sitting down and signing some papers, I'm not believing anything. All I have to say is I I could have sworn this is like the fourth time we've had this as a <laughs> as a weekly rewind topic that they're moving closer to a deal. Whatever, I'll believe it when I see it. Various degrees of closer, I guess. Yes. And I'm one step closer to the edge. And I'm about to break! On Tuesday, Stadium's costly legacy throws taxpayers for a loss. What stadium are we talking about, Mr. Smith? Uh, that would be Paul Brown Stadium down in Cincinnati. Um, $130 million over budget when it was built back in 2000. Uh, Wall Street Journal actually had a pretty good story where they were talking about uh, Hamilton County, Ohio, the, the uh, county which contains most of Cincinnati and the fact that uh, somewhere near 20% of their budget was going towards paying for that stadium, which is ridiculous when compared to other stadiums built around the same time. But the thing I want to point out, and, and something that wasn't directly mentioned in this article, is the fact that uh, a lot of the pitch that was made on the the taxpayers floating such a high percentage of the bill on this stadium was that if the team had more money, they could spend investing in talent facilities and other ways rather than helping to build this stadium then they could be a more competitive team. And as best I can tell, it seems to have worked in the 11 years prior to the stadium's construction. The Bengals averaged four wins a season in the 11 seasons since. They've averaged 
five wins a season. So I guess you got to take a step back and think, is that one win per year really, really, really worth it? Well, maybe it is, but you got to realize that it, it is going to be a manage management problem there in, in Cincinnati just in general. They've taken a lot of high-risk uh, or yeah, high risk, low reward players on, on their roster. So they, they've never come through and said, hey, we're, we're going to use this guy who, okay, yeah, he might not be the, the best overall talent, but he's going to be someone who meshes well with, with the, the team. So, yeah, in that sense, it, it's more of a, it's really not worth it. But the fact that, you know, you're, you're pouring this much money into a stadium to begin with, whether you're any any team, whether you're the Yankees or, or Dallas or, or anything, to have that, that many people pay for it is, is kind of ridiculous in, in general. On Wednesday, James Harrison of Pittsburgh Steelers blasts Roger Goodell in a magazine interview. Bob. Not only does he blast the devil... Uh, if he was on fire, I would not piss on him to save him. Oh, we're losing our uh, queen tag. I know. He also threw two of his own players <laughs> under the uh, bus. And, and we're not talking about under Jerome Bettis. Uh, he called Richard Mendenhall a fumble machine where uh, Mendenhall himself said that he only fumbled twice in 324 rushing attempts. I don't know, Matt. That doesn't sound like a, a fumble machine to me. Doesn't, doesn't exactly sound like a Mon Green circa 2005 by any stretch of the imagination. But and, and then he also throws Ben Roethlisberger under under the bus. If you can't, if you're gonna throw a pick, at least throw it, you know, deep when we're trying to score. Uh, un unfortunately, uh, maybe, maybe James Harrison needs to shut his mouth, play the defense that he's supposed to be able to play, and. I don't know. Maybe maybe the Steelers could have been able to stop. Uh, oh yeah, Aaron Rodgers, Super Bowl MVP, who pretty much annihilated the Pittsburgh defense, if if that's what I remember correctly. Yeah, well, um, that was that was undoubtedly somebody else's fault. But um, either way, uh, the the backpedaling has already begun for Mr. Uh, Harrison, and and uh, something I wasn't actually sure that he was capable of doing. Uh, but uh, supposedly he's had conversations with Roethlisberger uh, before the interview was even printed, um, saying that you know his comments were taken out of context. And having read the direct quotes where he says, "You ain't Tom Brady, you ain't Peyton Manning, even though you get paid like it," you know, I'm just really struggling to find a way that that could be said in a context where it isn't a slap in the face if you're Ben Roethlisberger. And you know, I'm not the I'm not going to go to bat for Ben Roethlisberger any day of the week, but um, jeez, Jerome Harrison has a has a has a significant case of moron. Yeah, but taking this a little further, what were some other things that he said about Goodell here? I hate him, and I will never respect him. He's a crook. He's the devil. He's a puppet, and a dictator. Now, I don't know about you guys, but aren't dictate isn't dictator and a puppet like opposites? Mutually exclusive. <laughs> yeah, I would tend to agree. And, and and you know what the other thing about that that whole thing is is that's his job. Um, uh, Roger Goodell as a commissioner of the NFL is it's his job to be a dictator. Right. It's his job to enforce rules and for all the things that he said in the article about 
You know, Roger Goodell never played college or professional football, which, you know, name a professional sports commissioner who has played their sport at any high level. But aside from that, he says he doesn't understand the way the game's played and he's ruling it in a way that doesn't make sense for people who played the game. Well, at the same extent, when you look at what Roger Goodell has done and the decisions he's made and the things he's done, and you criticize him from a standpoint of a, you know, Jerome Harrison. Did I say that right? James Harrison. I always say the wrong name. Um, but if you if you make those comments from his standpoint, it's the same thing. You're talking about a guy who has never been in a position where he's been the head of anything other than a linebacker core. So how can he pretend like he knows how to run a company any better? It's it's pot kettle syndrome. Well, it's, it's ridiculous in my opinion, especially when he's just sounding off because he was targeted. I actually look at this last year and the enforcement of some of these rules and the hits, and I think that it was probably one of the most evenly distributed enforcement of the rules that I've seen in a long time, and they kind of laid down, these are the guidelines. When Jerome, Her- or Jerome, James Harrison, poor Jerome, we, we say his name all the time. When James Harrison comes out and specifically says, I'm not going to change the way I play and I'm still going to play the way I play and let him find me, which is what one of our podcasts said several times back that he came out and said, you're going to be targeted, you moron. I mean, you can't say that you're not you're going to disrespect the rules and then whine about someone who enforces the rules and targets you a lot because you're a mouthpiece and an idiot. Why don't we talk about our to the point section? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shenanigans. I'm not. I'm not as good as Segway. So, let's see. <coughs> James Harrison has a blunt head. It's not pointed. Speaking of points, let's go to our to the point section. This to the point section is brought to you by the old Powerade that was in my refrigerator. Old Powerade is shitty as new Powerade. Ah <laughs> uh, yes, and and um yeah. I'm just hoping that this Powerade agrees with my digestive system and that I'm not regretting it tomorrow. But a lot of news in sports this week. Let's start off with uh, the big news around here from earlier this week, and that is the Ohio State football program's self-imposed sanctions. Um, If you are not aware, uh, they have forfeited the entire 2010 season, including... Go on. They have vacated. They have vacated. They have not forfeited. Vacated. Fair enough. They have vacated the entire 2010 season, including the victory in the Sugar Bowl against Arkansas. Um, somewhat drastic step. I, I vacating wins is 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 an interesting punishment in my mind. It's it's not like the games didn't happen. It's not like anybody who cares about the 2010 season won't remember what happened. There's no men in black with a flashy wand thingy. Uh, so essentially, it, it means nothing other than the fact that 30 years from now, somebody looks at a record book and there's you know 10 less wins on the Ohio State total than there probably should have been or whatever. Okay, that point made. Um, the reason that they're doing this, the reason they're vacating these wins is because... I, 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 and I don't see any other reason, is because they want to avoid further punishment, scholarship reduction, and postseason bans from the NCAA ruling, which is coming uh, no sooner than August. Uh, Bob, do you think that this is going to be successful? Do you think that this self-imposed sanction is going to change anything about the way the NCAA approaches this case? Um, probably not. Uh, I think the NCAA probably has some sort of punishment lined up uh, that they are already looking at. Uh, as long as there's no new information coming into into the light, and and as of right now, we haven't heard the uh, 
biggest one is uh, lack of institutional uh, lack of institutional control. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would probably be a big one that would that would lead to a, to a, uh, possibly a bigger punishment. But you also have to base this on, on previous punishments. Uh, usually, a college or university does put forth a their own recommended or their own sanctions but usually the ncaa possibly trumps it that that's what that's what usually happens so worst case, case scenario it, it, say they do go a little bit above and beyond uh you, you limit maybe a, a scholarship or a few scholarships this year maybe do a one-year bowl band i don't see it being anything too more too much more than just that uh if it is uh they'll probably have some sort of new information uh, because you know, Ohio State has punished the players. They, you know, they've suspended them five games. A lot of people will come out and say, "Oh my God, the NCAA has to save face because they allowed them to play." Well, that's kind of the NCAA being shoddy and not doing the research that they should have done back in December. If they were doing it right, they or if they should have. D- doing it right to begin with they probably shouldn't have been allowed to play in the sugar bowl and then we wouldn't have been having that conversation and then the other thing is that it looks like it's a jim trestle issue and he has been forced out so i guess the the same thing that we've been talking about since this has happened is waiting until august to figure out what exactly the ncaa will will do yeah um you know the 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 ruling obviously is still forthcoming, and the big thing that I think if you're an Ohio State fan or you know an alumni or whoever, the big thing you're concerned about, I think more than anything, is scholarship reductions because, let's be honest, the Big Ten hasn't fared that well in bowl games, and the, the, the national attention sometimes can be good if it's taken away from you to an extent. And I don't think that a, I don't think a postseason ban for a year, two, or even three years is necessarily going to hurt Ohio State as a program any worse than being destroyed by Florida and uh, LSU in back-to-back years did. So uh, I don't think the postseason ban is that big of a concern. I think scholarship reduction can be huge. As we all know, in the world of college football, it's a constant reloading cycle. And if they do end up having less slots available for those reloads, that means that the selections for those slots that are available become so much more important. You can't miss on anybody. And um, that, that's, a, that's a big deal. I think if you're Ohio State in this situation, you're hoping to avoid that scholarship reduction. And... Yeah. You know, if if the NCAA plans on doing it, they're going to do it. This little incident, this little self-imposed punishment isn't going to change that at all. I I was saying the only other thing that we could talk about was uh, that the sanctions haven't stopped them from getting Mike Vrabel to be a coach. That is true. The sanctions have not stopped them from getting Mike Vrabel to be the, uh, what is the official position of linebackers coordinator? Linebacker coach, yep. Linebacker coach, so nice addition, and anybody familiar with the Buckeyes teams from the mid-90s will uh, remember the name Mike Vrabel, and uh, should be equally as excited as I am to see him to see him joining the uh, joining the program. Who am I kidding? If you've watched the Super Bowl in the last 15 years, you've seen Mike Vrabel too. What am I, what am I talking about? Um, bat speed! Bat speed. 
So, hey, we touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, Yao Ming has hung him up. He's hung up those shoes that always contain broken feet. Um, <laughs> he's, uh, he, he's, he's hanging it up. He's, he's calling quits to his NBA career. Um, I think it's pretty easy to sum up the impact that he had on the court. You know, he was a player who averaged around 21, 22 points for most of his career. Um, pretty consistent double-double guy when he's healthy and somebody who had a really large impact on the court when he, he was playing. Um, but I think, uh, and you, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, Bob, I think that one thing that can never, ever, ever be underestimated is the globalization effect that he had on the league just by making the NBA such an incredibly popular entity in the largest country in the world. Let's not forget, Bob, that I believe it was 2005, after playing only 21 games, Yao Ming led the NBA in all-star votes and, in fact, broke the record held by Michael Jordan for most players to or most votes ever received by an NBA player, and that was only playing 21 games. That has to say a lot about the globalizing effect that Yao Ming had on the NBA, right? Oh, yeah, definitely, uh, especially when... The biggest thing with David Stern has always been the globalization of of basketball. He's sort of pushed it more towards a European flavor, but you know, with Yao Ming coming out of China, you've seen other basketball players go over there. Uh, I believe it was either Marbury or Iverson were over there. Uh, one of the guys who just got drafted this year, Jeremy Tyler, went over there. You're, you're seeing jersey sales over there actually mean, you know, mean something into the regular numbers. You know, So not even that. You can even say shoe contracts are coming from China that, that some of these uh, players are, are, are getting. Uh, and I think Yao Ming has also... Uh, sort of helped pave the way for for Dirk Nowitzki to become the star that he has in this whole globalization idea. Uh, not saying that Yao Ming is anywhere near as good as Nowitzki has been, but if it wasn't for Yao, I, I don't think maybe some some Americans might have accepted him, or we might have not have seen him. Because usually we see that this foreign based players as, as these okay. They're, they're pushovers, they're schmucks. There's, there's, there's not much to them. And with these two guys, you, you've seen that sort of change. And un- unfortunately for him, he got derailed by injuries. Yeah, and I think one of the things you, you, you know, you mentioned that you saw that little, that little stigma around foreign players being derailed. And I think it's interesting to point out that when you go back and you look at Yao Ming when he came into the league, um, uh, I believe for the first half season he averaged like four points a game, was easily pushed around on the court. So to say that he has defeated that that uh, stigma individually is even an impressive thing because it, it's something that he did have thrown his way, and, and he he had he had overcome it with his play specifically in his life, and and I think that that does a lot um, when you talk about legacy uh, to to show the type of of wherewithal and and guts to defy the public opinion of your play and in fact it was um, I believe it was Charles Barkley who uh, said early in the season in his his rookie year that um, he would kiss uh, Kenny Smith's ass if there was a single game all year where Yao Ming scored 20 points and 
Yao Ming proceeded to score 20 points, and they brought in a donkey, of course, because this is television, and you can't really get away with that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely something that he had to deal with personally, even as a, as a player in the NBA, and had to overcome. So um, I think it's important to remember those things. It's easy to look at Yao Ming's career and just remember you know, the, the legacy that he's had from 2005 until now, which is the last six years of... Um, maybe he'd play 20 games in a season, maybe not. If you do get him, you can only play him for, you know, 28, 32 minutes because you're just not really sure if he's going to last long into the season. And even that doesn't work because he gets injured anyway. So, um, it's, it's an unfortunate thing. I think when the human body gets stretched to the extents that, uh, some, some of these players, have. That's how he got so tall. They stretched him. They stretched him. Stretch Armstrong. Um, but I think you know you you see that a lot with guys his size. Um, you know Yao Ming, obviously major injury concerns. Uh, Zadrunas Ogaskis when he first came into the league, a lot of foot and ankle problems. You had um, uh, George Mirsan, Sean Bradley, all fought constant injuries. I I, I think that there's a tendency to assume that uh, height to that extent has some type of a superior. Uh, genetic makeup that that's you know it, it, that causes it, but uh, a lot of times it's just an example of the human body being stretched beyond its normal limits, and and you know th- structurally sound isn't just something that automatically comes along yeah. with it. I was gonna say a lot of times it's the exact opposite. Giantism and those things usually are mutations and defects in in the standard human body, so they deal with. Also, just weights and stresses that the normal body does not deal with. But anyway, that's my two cents. Um, so, on the subject of the globalization of the game of basketball, um, obviously we've got a lockout pending. Um, we've got a bunch of NBA stars who are trying to avoid what the, it's happening to the NFL stars, where uh, you know they're passing their time by getting arrested and, and performing felonious acts um, and, so, da- and dancing with the stars. And dancing with the stars, but that doesn't necessarily prevent them from you know, breaking the law either. So, um, no. Heinz Ward has, has proven that you can do both. Right, you can both dance with the stars and drink with the stars, and you can also attempt to pile drive and break the neck of your dance partner. Your dance partner. <laughs> uh, but we we've seen a lot of players. Talking about the idea of going elsewhere to play ball during the lockout, it appears as though Deron Williams, although nothing has been made official with this, but it appears as though Deron Williams is on his way to Turkey to play for a club name that I can't pronounce. Uh, Bob, have you, you you tend to be a little bit uh, more up to date on the foreign pronunciations. Do you know Do you know how this is pronounced? Belitska. 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 Um, how do you think How do you think the announcement? Or, uh, you know, announcement from a media standpoint. Obviously, the agents have never made it official. But um, how do you think the rumor um, that Deron Williams is heading over to Turkey to play ball, how do you think that affects the lockout? And how do you think it affects other players around the league? Um, Currently, it doesn't mean anything about anything uh, until we do miss some time uh, for the NBA lockout. Uh, one of the neat things is they, they based on the agreements that I've seen online, uh, he gets, I, I think it was a one-year $5 million contract. He has a complete out clause if, if, say, they do go over there and the NBA season starts back up. So that that's key. And then also, I think this is another thing that sort of has a... Uh, 
that's that's kind of been brought up or at least being considered is the fact that it's now become newsworthy to say when an NBA star is considering playing overseas. Which at this point, that makes sense because if there isn't a season, why not go play overseas? You know, you'll, you'll probably have some insurance policy set up. You'll be making usually non-tax dollars. You'll have probably a driver, a security guard, uh, pretty much everything you want. Uh, I guess the biggest standpoint from that is going to be how FIBA actually interacts to this situation when and if it happens. Because with Farmer, not with Farmer, with uh, Darren Williams, uh, he's actually going to a, a team that's not in the Euro League. So I, I think you're going to see this. So, so a lot of teams in, in Turkey, maybe Israel, maybe even China, uh, you might see that that idea. But if you start going more for a Euro League shot, I, I think that's where it might get a little uh, convoluted and cloudy. Do we have a we have a pronunci- official pronunciation over there, Bob? I I seen you messing around with yes, some. Yes, we have a, an official pronunciation. You said Belishkas or something like that. It's actually B E S I K T A S, pronounced Besiktas. 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 Eh, so I was wrong. I threw an L in there. The Besiktas. So this. Uh, the the thing I find interesting about this deal is, uh, you know, supposedly a five million dollar team from this team, which by the way is the same team that uh, shelled out cash for Allen Iverson a year ago. Um, this is a team uh, that players, even even American basketball players who have gone over to this team to play, uh, former Maryland star Lonnie Baxter uh, went and played for the same club and and had similar problems with what's been reported from a lot of the Euro players and the the foreign players that played there. I guess they're not necessarily foreign if they're from Turkey. But um, this is a team that doesn't pay their players. There's been uh, several reports of teams having to go to the FIBA, having to report to FIBA to get their payments and and other things. I think um, a part of me kind of feels like Signing a five million dollar contract to Deron Williams is going to be actually a horrible thing for their other players on that team because if they're paying him that much, then that means those other guys probably aren't going to get paid at all, and uh, that's something you never want to see. Just to counter counter go with that is you you would never want to stiff an NBA guy because then you would never ever see a big name ever go overseas. Fair enough. Fair enough, and and that's uh, that's definitely a valid point. And I don't think that I don't think that Deron Williams is under the under the risk of not getting paid. But I think the fact that he is going to get his money means that it's less likely that the other players on the team are going to get their money. And um, I think that that's uh, I think that's a bit of a concern just from an overall human rights standpoint. Aw, poor Besiktas. <laughs> but on the uh, on the other note, I kind of wonder. Maybe not with this particular club, but I kind of wonder if this is a is a self fulfilling thing. Where if we start to see, don't get me wrong, we're never going to see Kobe Bryant playing in Europe. Um, we're not hey, going to see. Big, they want him. Well, of course they want him. You may see him at like fifty playing in Europe. I think when you're talking about a player like Bryant, who there's already been a significant amount of talk about the amount of of games that have been played and the amount of times up and down the court that those legs have been used and I think when you're talking about wear and tear on an NBA superstar going over to Europe and playing doesn't make sense especially when you're talking about a player who has already established themselves in the league I think what we're going to see is a lot of players who maybe are 
role players or players that have good all-around skills but have not quite developed to the level that they can uh, be a superstar or even a solid contributor in the NBA. I think you're going to see a lot of those types of players going over. I think that Deron Williams as a superstar player is going to be a bit of a one-of case in this scenario. But the, the point I wanted to make before I got on that little side rant is that um, I think that it could be somewhat of a circular thing because I think what what could happen if we do have a lot of really good NBA players playing overseas, then what we do is we increase the popularity of sports in other countries and we could further increase the globalization of the league, um, meaning that players have an opportunity to play with top-tier talents from the U.S. or, you know, Michael Petras is, is supposedly heading over to Turkey, so I don't want to say this is limited to players born in the U.S., but players who play in the U.S., players who play in the NBA, exposure to that type of talent and, and the ability to play with that type of talent a lot of times can make you as a player better. And we may see a lot of stars coming out of this from the EuroLeague teams who just get that opportunity to, to, to play and learn and get better and also see the excitement that the kids might see from going to those games and um, a lot more excitement in the youth coming up. Mini Besiktas. Mini Besiktas. You know, just, just another little interesting point. When you, when you talk about the numbers that we've seen thrown around as far as the amount of money that the NBA has lost this past season, imagine what those numbers would be like if it wasn't for Yao Ming. I think the league might have been bankrupt if all that money hadn't been coming in from China. Yeah, or, or uh, back in the last labor agreement, they might have... Well, he, he wasn't here. Was, I was going to say, Yao he wasn't, wasn't around here. for that. That was the, that was the yeah. year before he came. So the the only thing at that point I could I could see that you know there might have been a quicker work stoppage, um, you know just just based on a, a uh, possibly financial implosion. Another interesting little Yao Ming fact: there was I don't know that there's ever been a player who has had outside forces um, guarantee his number one pick in the draft status the way that Yao Ming's was because the China Basketball Association would only allow him to come to the NBA if he was drafted number one overall by the Houston Rockets, which means that even if Houston didn't want him, the value for him would have been so high because he would have had to have been picked first. And if they wanted to trade him, they could have traded him for whatever they wanted because otherwise he wasn't coming in the league and nobody was going to get him. So take that. Yes. Put that in your shoes that have broken feet in them and smoke them. And poop. And poop shoes. (laughs) (laughs) What are they? A wagon train of poop. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Reaching into the uh, archives for that one. Why don't you cue the outro, Pod? Well, this has been Sports on Point. We hope you enjoyed the show. As always, please send your suggestions and comments to feedback at sportsonpoint.com. You can also call the show at 646-39-POINT. That's 646-397-6468. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, before we go, I want to send a shout-out to the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team making it to these World Cup Finals for the second time, so wish them the best of luck, and, um... Female soccer! Better than male soccer? Uh, well, the team's better. Well, yeah, (laughs) I guess you you got me there.